Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the It's Nice That podcast. This is the show where we talk to leading designers, illustrators, creative directors and photographers about the delights and dramas of being a creative. We want to scrub away the Instagram gloss and hear the honest truth from people who've built careers out of their creativity. How do they come up with their best ideas? What's the secret to staying inspired? And what happens when creative projects go awry? My name's Matt Alagaya, I'm the editor-in-chief of It's Nice That, and today I'm going to be sitting down with Davis Ngarupe and J.P. Haney of Design Studio and Bookstore Actual Source. We'll hear how they've built their own brand that stretches across everything from publishing to apparel, and we'll find out how they balance client work with passion projects. Then, later on, we'll be leaving the big smoke and heading to Froome in the southwest of England for this episode's Nice Note. That's all coming up on the It's Nice That podcast. First, though, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined for this episode of the podcast by my colleague Jenny Brewer, our online editor. Hey, Jenny. Hi, yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm excited for everyone to hear this one. I think we've got a lot of actual source fans in the INT audience. Yeah, definitely. I'm very excited about this one. I also feel like um, I'm a big fan of Actual Source, their work, but also the two guys, JP and Davis, are just absolutely lovely. It was a very fun conversation. So yeah, looking forward to it. It sounded fun. It sounded like one of those ones that could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It definitely was that. Well, Jenny, obviously you've had a listen to this interview with JP and Davis. I guess what are the things that you would like our listeners to keep an eye out for and hear out for, things that struck you? I think there was a couple of bits that really stood out. There was an interesting bit where they're sort of talking Talking about the two sides of their business, which obviously it's quite funny. I think one of them says lots of people think we're a store and they actually they do 80%. I think they say 80, 20 is, you know, studio. They trained as graphic designers. We see ourselves as graphic designers and that is the bulk of our work. But they obviously have this like publishing side in the store. I think at one point, one of them says it would be easier not to do it, but we just want to, which I think is probably true of so many things like that, like kind of side projects that are you know, very successful side projects, I might add, but they do it because they want to. And it takes time and energy that might be, you know, easier to just let go of, but they want to do it. And they say like that the book delivery days are the highlight of their lives, which is <laughs> like a big statement. And it just made me think about this, just like, as long as I've worked in this industry, this like enduring love for print that will never die in this world, in, in graphic design, in creative industry. And does it survive purely on that? <laughs> the fact that people just love it and love to hold a book or a magazine in their hands. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice to hear them talk about that balance and that kind of love that they have for it. And that's kind of why they do it. It sounded like they wanted to do more of it, but it's a, I guess, a constant balance of money and business, considering that business model, but super interesting. Yeah, there's some quite anguished bits, I feel, where they're, you know, talking about how they'd love to spend a bit more time on that stuff and maybe less on the client projects. And I guess it's just such a relatable thing for so many people, you know, whether you run your own studio or just have your own practice you're always kind of having these battles between self-initiated projects and the kind of the client work that, that keeps the lights on, I guess. Yeah, they definitely feel a little bit anguished about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they talk about it nicely. Like they do want to get those big commissions and I guess they're in a place where they can be quite choosy about what it is that they're doing on a commercial side. Yeah, that's still that burning desire to make a 
to make a nice book or a magazine will never go away, sounds like. But yeah, it's kind of anguish, I guess. Maybe they'll figure it out. They did say, is there a way to kind of shift the whole way that our business works? And it's a, an interesting discussion, like to see how it might evolve over the years or change depending on how like the industry changes. Maybe anguish was slightly stronger word, but I feel like the the passion that you're talking about is definitely also very evident. I love the bit where they're talking about how they they just love designing books. That was what they wanted to do from the very get go, and that's kind of what they've managed to build a practice and build a studio around, which is really cool. Another bit that I thought was really interesting is when I think Davis and JP are talking about the different ways that they work. JP has a very particular way of kind of like finding the mistakes once a issue of the magazine Choplifters comes into the studio, whereas JP's a bit more. I'll let it go. You know, it's, it's what's done is done. <laughs> yeah. I really liked that bit because I think it is a quite a common point of discussion, you know, in certain industries where you have to have a creative partner or just there's a lot of people that are looking for their creative partner because it's hard to work alone in a creative field, in any field, but in creative field, you need someone to bounce ideas off. And traditionally, I guess you're looking for the yin and yang you know that there's someone that has the skills you don't have or has the perspective you don't have and it sounds like that's exactly what they have in that respect like jp like torturing himself after he gets the shoplifters back and texting all of the mistakes to <laughs> and davis is totally fine he's like when it's done i'm done but he's texting him all the mistakes <laughs> <laughs> which seems a bit like dragging him along for the torturous ride but that's probably how they've found so much success because one of them's you know saying oh we need to be more nitpicky about these things and the other's going does it matter and there's probably so much of that going on that kind of tussle all the time that you find that middle ground that is just a really lovely venn diagram of creative niceness but yeah it's funny as well (laughs) let's talk about how there's certain amount of mistakes when this episode goes out they're going to get loads of messages with like oh i found a mistake (laughs) asking baiting the listeners (laughs) i hope not i hope our listeners are friendlier than that (laughs) thanks very much for your insights there jenny and thanks for kind of your thoughts on this episode now without further ado let's hear that chat with actual source Hi, Davis and JP. Thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the It's Nice That podcast. Hello, thanks. It's it's our true pleasure. (laughs) How are things with you both? How's everything in Provo, Utah? Good. Nice. Yeah, things are heating up. Excellent. Yeah, we've got some sunshine today for the first time in a while, which is great. So listen, JP and Davis, thanks so much for joining us. Now for our discussion today, I'd love to talk about how you've grown Actual Source into what it is today, a kind of amazing hybrid of a design studio, publishing house, fashion label, bookshop, the list goes on. I want to hear how you've managed to create such a holistic brand and also I guess understand how important that brand has been to your success up to this point. I'd love for you to kind of talk us through some of your most significant projects as well, including Shoplifters, your magazine. But perhaps first, JP, maybe let's let's start with you. Could you talk us through how Actual Source came about in the first place? And I guess, was it always in your minds that this would be this kind of hybrid or did that evolve a bit later on? Originally, Davis and I had started a studio called Number Four, which is uh, named after the year we met, 2004, which was the best year of our lives. <laughs> uh, up to that, probably in general. Yeah, it was so it much. It was a good year. So much fun. It was more just hanging out, going to shows, our friends. I don't even think I knew what the term graphic design was in 2004. Definitely so. didn't. So we loved it. Yeah, it was before we even knew what we were we're going to do with our future. Yeah. So then, you know, 2013, we started working together at this tech company 
and we were doing projects together at night. We wanted to get book design commissions. We wanted to design books. So this was kind of our way of doing that. You need to prove that you can do the work before the commissions come. So we decided to design our own books and publish together. And that was kind of number four, like what it was. And then at some point, I guess 2015, we had a show at the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art called Actual Source. And that sort of sparked our interest into creating a store which could house the our publishing projects and also have books alongside it that we want to carry. Partly because, you know, we put out a few books and did not sell any. So we had to figure out a way to kind of create a, a platform to sell books. That was like kind of our first step into making it sustainable. Then eventually, yeah, we decided to just go under one name. That's easy to remember. I mean, having the store be always a plan. I think we're always interested in making things. Yeah, I think it was maybe less of a store and some of it was, I guess we've never really talked about this, but it seemed like it was more of a library, like a way for us to- Yeah, like an archive. An archive, a way for us to like bring in books and objects that we were interested in from designers who we had been watching online from afar. It kind of just evolved into a store. Interesting. So obviously that show at Umoka you mentioned, that was kind of a real turning point. And that's where that name Actual Source kind of came from. What did that name kind of start off with? Where did it come from originally? And why did it strike such a chord with you? Well, we we're naming the show because the show was actually by number four, which is, you know, us two. But as we were naming the show, you know, we were really focusing on this idea of taking an idea or kind of the creative process in a way. You start with an idea and it's probably fine. And then you add it a few layers, a couple ideas on top of it and take it through this process to kind of show the end product, which may or may not reveal the original idea or demonstrate what that was. So the works that we were making for the show were all based on this one book that we had made over six months. And it was a thousand page book. Yeah, thousand page book. You might see on some of our apparel and things, sometimes we'll put 1000 pages on it because that's kind of the origin of this kind of way of working. So we made this object and we never actually showed the object, which was the kind of actual source of all the ideas. Or a process book, a book full of our ideas and thoughts throughout the six months of thinking about what the show could be and would be. So all the works were kind of taking this book sculpture, thousand pages, and then putting that through various filters through like photography or through scanning or through shredding, cutting it in half, various things that we wanted to do. I was thinking about this the other day. I remember where we came up with the name. We were in the car. We were in the car going, I think, to the Apple store in Salt Lake or something. And we were talking about source was one word that we kept coming back to. And then we were thinking, oh, is this the common source of this oh, project? Yeah. And that common didn't seem right. And then I remember you said, wait, what about actual source? And I was like, oh, that actually does kind of fall in the line and make sense. Yeah. And it kind of just went from there in that parking lot. And then I picked up my iPod shuffle and we left. Yeah, iPod shuffle and gone. <laughs> it does have a certain ring to it. Yeah, I'm glad that it kind of immediately hit a chord. I mean, it's, I'm fascinated to hear, you know, you obviously have, you've kind of touched on how you have this, yeah, these two sides of the business almost. How do you actually physically or even like logistically maintain both, you know, your client work through the studio and the publishing side and the bookshop? What's the secret there to maintaining both of those? One secret is just the desire to do it. It would honestly be much easier not to, you know, if we were just doing the studio and focused on that. Or vice versa. Or vice versa, yeah. Or you know, focusing on that. It's something that we just, we want to do both so we do. And to maintain the activity at the level that we do it, it's it does take, you know, time and energy and just a lot of our spare thoughts are kind of filled by 
trying to do these things that we want to do. I think the majority of our day is honestly studio commissions, providing a service for people. That's, I think, our livelihood. <laughs> so the split is probably 80-20 in reality. So studio 80 and then publishing store 20. So a bookstore is the most fun of any of these things. We get to choose books from everywhere that we you know bring to Utah and book delivery days, the highlight of our lives in general. That's the most exciting thing because we, besides unboxing our own projects that come in, you know, from the printer, you know, getting all these books in and seeing all these interesting formats and printing and getting to experience those and then documenting them, which we also love. That was one thing with the store when we first started. It was like, okay, how could we document these books really clearly, really easily and efficiently? We had been scanning all our books for our portfolios at the time. It just made sense like, oh, this is a really easy way to document these books that we come in. Actually show a little more than just the cover, front and back cover. We try to show, you know, five to seven spreads of every book. And kind of one reason we love our Instagram so much is because it's more of an archive of all these amazing books that so many amazing designers have designed over the past, you know, six, seven years. Yeah, it's a little easier to post. We hate posting, but it's easier to post when, it, you know, you got these scans and you can just kind of give information about a thing and let people look at it. It's a nicer way to kind of participate. One thing we also love is that we don't scan the books anymore. Scanning and editing was such a, a 10 chore. to 15 books in. There's a day or two of just scanning and, and editing them. So Luckily, now we work with a, a good friend of ours, Andrew Aguilera, who JP has given the name Scandrew because <laughs> Andrew is the ultimate scanner and he now kills it. He's accomplished. He, yeah. does, he does a really good job at that. Fantastic. JP, you mentioned there that it's kind of an 80-20 split. Is there a part of you both that would love that to be 70-30, 60-40? I mean, what's that kind of conflict between the client work and the other work? Is there a bit of a conflict there or are you relatively happy with the 80-20 split? I feel like we go back and forth. Yeah, we go back and forth. The studio, as we said, we also love, but there's also a give and take when you're providing a service for someone. We really look at it as a practical thing and we want to do the best thing for our clients. We don't have an ego about the work and we actually do want to just do a great job, make people happy. But then on the other side, it's like, what if we could just do our own projects and through a consumer business, like sell enough to maintain and pay our team and us and everybody to work? So I don't know. It's hard. I think I would like 50-50. That would be nice. Why not? I feel like last year we didn't spend as much time on the store as we normally would like to because we didn't put out a shoplifters last year. And that's one of the big projects we're able to spend a lot of time on. So towards the end of last year and in January, we were able to spend a lot of time working on shoplifters. And it was just like really nice like set aside a few weeks to actually work on kind of dialing that in. Everyone in the studio always helps with it, but we brought in a lot of our friends to help with a lot of the compositions, which was really nice. And it was, you know, sometimes it's it's more fun working with more people, with friends than it is just, Toi just us Toiling too. in the graphic design wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, a good way of putting it. I mean, I think... What's interesting is probably both sides kind of feed each other almost, don't they? You know, there's probably lots of things that started out in Shoplifters, which is your magazine, which we'll come on to in a moment. But it's probably things that started off there and went into client work and vice versa. For sure. That definitely happens a lot. Feels like one practice, you know, where they feed each other. And when we haven't done one for a while, you kind of like need it. Not to be happy, but we just enjoy that. So there needs to be a balance for it to really work. And I think that's kind of actual source as a practice 
kind of needs both to survive. You've given us a really clear picture there of kind of how this hybrid practice evolved and how you now maintain it. I mean, one of the most amazing things about Actual Source, at least from an outside perspective, is how you've almost built a brand around what you do. Just talk us through how you went about doing that in those early days. How did you get that early recognition of what you were doing? Because it seems amazing now that you have such a solid brand around your practice. I think it's more that, like JP said, we, oh, yeah. early, early on, early, early on, we like wanted to sell books, like making books was all we wanted to do. And that was our favorite thing to do when we were in school. So our deepest desire. Left school. Yeah. Our deepest desire <laughs> was to make books. And so we had to make books. And in fact, the first book we ever made together was one of our favorite projects. We kind of pulled our money together. Our wives were pretty bummed that we were spending all our extra cash on printing and publishing this book that we did. They and did not had, understand. They did not get on. it. But then we had a show in LA, which was kind of a such a fun night for us where our friends could come and kind of participate with us on this book that we were releasing. It felt like such a big success, except for the fact that more books were stolen than sold. Yeah. So we weren't selling <laughs> books and we needed to figure out a way to sell naturally because we were starting the store that the platform of the store actual source was a way for us to sneak our books in with some amazing books and sell them. When people come to a design studio or a branding agency or whatever you want to call it, they're trying to get at like the core of what this business is and who these people are. And once they've found that, they can kind of build upon that in a holistic way. The way that we've done it is just by being engaged and pursuing our interests. We're into apparel and clothing and we wear hats all the time. These are just things that we want to make for ourselves, so we do. Books, we have already expressed that we love them and we wanted to make them, sell them, be around them, you know, participate. That's why we want to do that. That's important. Participate and be around them. Yeah, like, This yeah. is what we wanted to surround ourselves with. For sure. And so, like, just by saying, like, oh, we're both interested in this, let's pursue that. That's kind of the first step is just like being interested in doing stuff like on an ongoing basis. We said it's kind of like hard to maintain. It's hard to maintain because we're we want to be active. It takes time and energy and money to do all that. So like I think we just kind of built it in the best way possible, which is just step by step along the way. And that's also to say because we actually have a brand. So we have a brand that sort of acts as a, a store, a label, a publisher. So we can kind of do things that act like that. That's harder with the studio and probably not necessary. If you're just doing a studio, you can like kind of behave a certain way and show your work in a certain way and position yourself to get certain work. But to really have a brand, I don't think is necessary or even that cool for a studio. That's one thing I wanted to ask is like, how significant do you think it is that you have a brand as a, yeah, if say for the studio side of things, for people who have their own studios out there or thinking about setting up their own studios, how much should they be thinking about their own brand building? Or do you think they should just be letting the work speak for itself? That seems like the right thing to do. You know, let the work speak. And there's fun things surrounding that. Like there's things you can do that you just want to make stuff look cool. So all your invoices and your your email signature and your website like these are expressions obviously of the work that your studio makes and that's really nice but it's a little easier when you have an actual brand or outlet to kind of use as a way to do it i don't i don't think we would be as active if we didn't if it was just a studio which honestly it it is helpful just when we were in school like you know the portfolio class is like all right you got to make a logo for yourself and present yourself as a solo graphic designer and i think we always felt like that feels really hard and maybe not necessary i think we're more interested in kind of yeah the body of work yeah the body of work but like jp was saying what we were interested in school was how do we make our cv how do we make our resume look 
unique and amazing like our invoices like documents we, are the funnest so yeah when, before like jp and i actually started doing the studio together i mean we were spending a lot of time on our we were deep resumes and our invoices in the document game yeah it, it, this, these were things that we were really really into in fact when i was in school i were like would collect resumes that i would see like save them like oh my gosh that's an an amazing for some reason that was the ultimate oh wow expression, they yeah. killed that like that really shows <laughs> that really shows who that designer is i'm so into that well we're kind of revising when we have time you know make that stuff feel a little bit different yeah but. even our proposals were like oh man our proposals are and our invoices have looked the same for a year and a half now that's kind of boring how do we uh how do we update this a little bit i love the idea of a, a design project a branding project starting with the invoice you know that's the the truest form of the brand you should have fun with it for sure I just don't know if you need to go about it as like a branding project, more like that's the difference between like branding yourself and like actually having a design practice that kind of inherently has its own identity because it feels like you and your work and kind of the investigative process that you have gone through to kind of get where you are. So I think that feels like the authentic way to present work. Absolutely. You spoke about Shoplifters, which is your magazine, a bit earlier. Earlier this year, you brought out issue 10, which is fantastic. Davis, you said something interesting the other day about how when the new magazine comes in, JP will go through the issue when it comes into the studio and pick out all the mistakes, whereas you're more likely to leave it alone once it's done, it's done. Do you feel like the two of you have very different ways of working? Are there any challenges that come with that? Or are you fairly well kind of complementary and aligned in terms of how you work? I feel like we have similar ways of working in the sense that we sit next to each other and we bounce ideas off of each other. Like I'm better we, at torturing myself. Yeah. He, like, for example, like, exactly <laughs> like you said, like, well, once we finish a project, you know, JP, take it home, sit with it, spend the whole weekend kind of digging into it, be texting all the mistakes that we had missed <laughs> and had made. And then, you know, both of us kind of get a little depressed, him a lot more than me. Like, I'm, I kind of, when I'm done with something, I'm done with it. Like I kind of just let it go. I've gotten into Shoplifters 10 and like looking at it because it's it's such a fun project when so many people were involved in it. And I think we got rid of most of the mistakes. Yeah, we yeah because we, we spent extra time really looking for all the no, mistakes. There is no book without mistakes. They're going to be in there no matter what. So you just got to accept it because it's a lot of moving parts. But I think we worked really hard to over 832 pages to really yeah, find them find those and now that we said that there's so many people are going to find stuff and be don't even look so don't do it we know they're in there so i really kind of uh, have a hard time digging into stuff that is done and over you've already spent too much time on it emotionally i've kind of need to let that go (laughs) when you think about shoplifters uh, yeah just as a kind of project i mean it obviously takes a lot of time but is it really about kind of balancing out the the commercial work for clients? Not that I want to kind of suggest that that's you hate doing that or anything like that, but there's something about it that's kind of, yeah, a bit of a balance to the rest of your projects. It is a balance in the sense that it's something we care about so much that is ours that we get to work on. I don't actually think of it as we're working on this because it helps balance our, you know, store to studio ratio. Yeah, I, I think we can be clear that we wouldn't do it if there wasn't a potential to make money because it would not be sustainable the amount of time and energy and we have to create a place where that actually works so it's a project that is meant to you know help supplement our income and it's a good project in that sense but also 
maybe a nice contribution to the graphic design landscape or, or beyond graphic design, just in books in general. If anyone's working on a project right now and you think, I just want to do it, it's not meant to make money. See if you can figure out how, you know, because that could fund your next thing. It's, it's important to figure out the economy of these things so that you can sustain your ideas over time or else it's going to putter out. We're also giving this advice knowing that for the first few years we were not making money. And doing stuff just... The- just- yeah, we were doing that because <laughs> of what we're saying not to do, but we have have been working really hard and trying to figure out the ways to produce stuff so we could make money and bring that back and continue to make stuff and that don't get burned out by not being able to make money and just throw all our own money back into it. So I think perhaps for just a final question, it would be great if you could, I guess, lend some advice to uh, any young graphic designers out there who are kind of keen to get into the field and build a bit of a name for themselves and work on you know, great projects like you both have. What's the kind of best advice that you could give a young emerging graphic designer these days? Not an easy question. I appreciate it. <laughs> One thing I would say is, you know, continue to learn. This is something that even us, we're constantly trying to learn new programs or kind of we're constantly buying books so we can learn different papers that people are using, ways of binding, ways of production. Improving technique, the way we do things. Figuring out how to get stuff made. Like it's so important if you're into books or if you're just a graphic designer that you understand how to communicate with printers, how to get something made and express what you're looking for. So when you get the book, it's actually what you want, whether that's a book or whether that's uh, an interior design project, if you can't communicate what you want and you're not very clear and explicit as to what you want, you're not going to get what you want. It's, yeah. That's just the, the fact that we've come to understand. And so being able to communicate with whatever production you're working with that of what, exactly what you want and how to get what you want. Just dedicate yourself in a way that will benefit you. Uh, reading is an essential part of being a graphic designer. It helps to help you understand your place within the landscape. The more you know, the more information you have to decide what you want to do, because it's up to you. That's what's so nice is there's a bunch of conflicting opinions everywhere. And there's a bunch of dogmatic people who say it should be this way. And then these other people say it should be this way. And what's really nice about being a designer is that you can decide, and hopefully not too dogmatic. We kind of suggest being more open, but Decide and evolve, actually. Yeah, decide and evolve, and, and that's okay. You know, take, find your place and keep going. Yeah, because if you find your place and you stay there, then that's not really the way. You really have to keep going. Find your place, find your interests, and then help try to evolve those. And those interests will kind of spew and evolve into other interests. Have fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Not everyone's trying to copy everyone. It's like, make stuff and it's okay. And everyone's trying to do a good job. That's the last message. Be supportive of other people. Don't try to go around and tear people down. I think our profession sometimes has this ability to spot someone and and try and tear them down. It's just like, let's just try and be as supportive as possible. And if you're doing what you're supposed to do and kind of being authentic to yourself, then no one can ask anything more of you. Yeah. And hopefully you're enjoying it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's a a lovely note to end on. JP and Davis, thanks so much for your time. And uh, thank you for joining us on the It's Nice That podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thanks. That was JP and Davis from Actual Source there. 
If you want to hear a longer version of that interview, well, you can by joining Extra Nice. It's Nice That's membership program. You'll get your hands on a host of benefits and goodies, including a bit more time and a few extra insights from actual source. Please do go and check it out. Right, that's nearly all we've got time for. But before we head off, we've got one final treat in store. Every episode of the podcast, we hear from a creative somewhere in the world as they tell us about a place in their city that keeps them inspired. For this episode, we're heading out of London and making our way to the town of Froome in the southwest of England to hear from artist and designer Ryan Todd. Let's hear now from Ryan. Hey guys, I am Ryan Todd. I'm a visual artist and creative director and I live in Froome in Somerset which is a small town, but with a really exciting creative scene, lots of interesting people doing interesting stuff. And we were really kind of naturally drawn to the area. So when we moved down from London a couple of years ago, we decided to jump straight in at the deep end and took over a warehouse here, which we run alongside our own work. The space is called Maker's Yard, and the building is made up of artist studios, a gallery event space, and the community yard. We've essentially been slowly building a community of ceramicists, carpenters, photographers, film directors, illustrators, architects, jewelry designers, set designers, you know, so it feels a bit like being back at uni, you know, there's 3D printing or uh, laser cutting happening in one studio, someone's animating a music video in another, or setting up a photo shoot. We have people in to visit for drawing classes and workshops, and we're also starting to think about performing arts. We have a contemporary choir starting this week, and our first visual art exhibition in the summer, so it feels like a real creative playground, and even though we're still relatively new and we have a long way to go, there's already a real tangible sense of energy about the place and it means we're kind of always around people that are starting their own thing or launching a project and kind of facilitating that and that creativity is just like mega infectious for us and the best type of inspiration i think so thanks for listening if you're ever in somerset pop in for a cuppa bye for now That was Ryan Todd giving us an insight into countryside living in Froome. Thanks very much to Ryan for sending that in. And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. My thanks to Actual Source and to my colleague Jenny Brewer for joining me here on this episode. I'm sure you've listened to podcasts before, so this won't come as a surprise. But if you have enjoyed listening to this, it would make us very happy if you could write a review on your favourite podcast app. And even better, if you could also subscribe to the show. It's Nice That Podcast is produced by Palm Tree Island. Our theme music was written and performed by Sounds Like These. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time.